0: The first degree. 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 The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
1: When I learned this, I was 16, and there were other things happening along the lines of police brutality, but this was the first time that I actually had a name or someone that I actually knew that passed because of it. So it was kind of different in the context of like the theory and, you know, being prepared and knowing what to do or how to respond or how to avoid the police, but it it was a different ballpark that it was still someone that I knew that was gone because of this. I feel like a lot of people kind of slept it under the rug or tried to justify it in a sense because they looked at it as just because, you know, if he wasn't doing what he was doing, then the police wouldn't have been called and he would still be alive. But I look at it as if even if he was doing what he was doing, even if it was a crime, the police being called shouldn't mean that your life should end. When a police officer kills someone, it doesn't just take away that person. It ripples out into hundreds of people.
0: Welcome to the first degree of the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanick. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. How are we feeling today? Lex. We are feeling excellent. We are feeling excellent. I wanted to say thank you for everybody that's joined our Patreon. We had so many new subscribers over the last week. You guys love a two parter. You love to have a multi parter episode. So we're going to bring you a lot more of them.
2: A lot more of them. And if you are a Patreon member, you're going to get them at the same time. You won't have to wait for another week to get the second part. And we also have a three parter coming in May. That's a really exciting one. And that will apply the same as well. You'll get all three parts. At the same time, if you're on Patreon.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be part of a bigger sort of thing that we're doing that's going to be really exciting, and we're going to need all of your help as well. So um, we're really excited about that also on Patreon. There's like, I think we've been doing Patreon for a year. I think even maybe this week it's been a year. So there should be over 50 episodes for you to binge straight on Patreon if you needed a reason to subscribe. So lots of shit going on over there. It's an exciting place. Exactly. All right. Well, before we jump into the case today, do you want to know what day it is? Yes, please. So today is April twenty sixth. There's a lot of days. It's Denim Day. So put on your a pair of favorite jeans today. It's International Guide Dog Day. Stop at is- Denim Day. I just
2: um, ordered from Rent the Runway the denim looking sweatpants. Oh, that you had on TikTok. I think they're rag and bone, right? Yes. So I, they had them on rent the runway and I was like too intrigued not to give them a shot.
0: So what am I going to think? I will say that I bought them and returned them. So good luck to you. Oh <laughs> no. Oh no. Well, that's why you do rent the runway. They're good for rent the runway. Not good for $300, but totally. um, it's also national pretzel day, which I am so into a pretzel and some mm. cheese. Sounds freaking delicious incredible and uh national static cling day how do these days even get made you know i don't know but here they are and here (laughs) we are so let's just enjoy them let's just enjoy them all right well that's enough of that so let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you
2: Every day, we encounter so many small, life-changing moments, good ones, bad ones, and everything in between. And whether we realize it or not, in the moment, these tiny events, they shape us. The stranger taps on your shoulder at a bar. Three years later, you're married, a fender bender on the way to the grocery store with the wrong person, and you're embroiled in a years-long legal battle. Your daughter asks to go to the new science museum. Suddenly, you're sitting at her college graduation these moments, which only can be a few seconds, might determine our families, our friends, and our careers. They mold our lives and our deaths. And then there are events in our lives that we know are big, important, impactful, monumental. From start to finish, these events don't feel like a pebble dropping in a pond. They're a meteor crashing into a still lake. Not a ripple effect, but a tsunami. Families are destroyed, communities fall apart, and nations are tested one minute can change everything. And in
0: today's case, it does. So today's case begins on July 20th of 2011, and it is a busy time. So Taylor Swift is in Canada on her Speak Now tour, and uh, planking is at the height of its popularity. I'm sure we can all pull up some picture that we tried planking back in the day. It was an embarrassing time, I think. Did you plank? No. I didn't think so. I mean, that wasn't
2: really my jam. And I've never really gone with the social media trends, you know? That's <laughs> true. But among that group of people back then, there were a lot of people doing the koala, koala-ing on things.
0: Oh, So I was yes. more
2: part of the koala-ing
0: crowd. Got it. I loved planking. It was so, it was it's like pretty one of funny. the first like internet trends I feel like back in the day. Pretty funny. LMFAO's song Party Rock Anthem leads the music charts while Pitbull's Give Me Everything and Adele's Rolling in the Deep follow closely behind. And the Deathly Hallows Part 2 premieres finishing the original Harry Potter movie franchise. All this in the midst of the deadly 2011 North American heat wave, which is today the hottest summer recorded in US history, which is Crazy. Crazy. And the setting
2: for today's case is Charlotte, North Carolina. Located in the southeastern portion of the state, this pretty area has blue lakes, green trees, and four distinct seasons. And as someone raised on the East Coast, this is definitely something I can appreciate. In the mid-1700s, Scottish and Irish Presbyterian settlers founded Macklenburg County, and after that, the city of Charlotte. The colonists named their new city and county after King George III's wife, Charlotte of Mecklenburg Straits. I'm sorry if I butchered that, whatever, (laughs) which is why it's sometimes called the Queen City. Today, Charlotte is home to about 870,000 people, which makes it the most populated city in North Carolina. And the growing metropolis is known for its NASCAR Hall of Fame, for Carolina Panthers of the NFL, the Charlotte Hornets of the NBA,
0: and its many, many beautiful state parks. Our first grief for today's case is named Aaliyah. And Aaliyah was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, and she's a woman of color. And as a kid, she went to a Catholic school in a predominantly white area. And those were great experiences for Aaliyah. But her mom wanted Aaliyah to spend time with kids of color as well.
1: Being a person of color, it was really important for my mom to have me around other people of color. So at some point, she joined the board of a very popular rec center chain in one of the more lower income areas of Charlotte. The rec
2: center that Ali is referring to, it's the YMCA. I'm sure you've heard of it. And they're a nonprofit with over 2,700 facilities across the U.S. And originally, the YMCA was a Christian-based organization, and it was only open to men. In fact, YMCA stands for Young Men's Christian Association. But today, the YMCA offers affordable camps, childcare, pool access, basketball courts, and more to all people, regardless of their sex or religion. And since Aaliyah's mom was on the YMCA's board, Aaliyah spent a lot of time there, and she really liked it.
1: That's how I started out with the very first, you know, Kindergarten when you can start at YMCA camp. And I went all the way up to teen camp, training camp, and became a camp counselor and then worked at YMCA all throughout college. I absolutely loved it. Just something to do during the summer, but I also got to know a lot of people that were completely different from the friends that I had during the school year or would be hanging out with during the school year. So it gave me just another perspective and just another way to be myself.
0: YMCA's are known for keeping kids busy and out of trouble. And according to the Center for Crime and Justice Studies, YMCA's help reduce youth crime. And you know the quote, idle hands are the devil's playground. Well, the YMCA fixes that. Their youth programs give kids a safe space to hang out and just do a bunch of fun stuff, especially when the schools are closed like over summer break.
1: There were a lot of things that, teenagers could get involved in, especially during the summer when there's nothing really to do, there's no school. The Y that I went to did really, really good at doing community work and speaking to parents and telling them, like, if they need somewhere safe to go, they can come here. Like, I honestly remember one of the campers being on house arrest, and it was just something that he could do during the day. And so I feel like there were just a lot of troubled teens in the area who found a safe haven in the Y where they could get away from the daily struggles and things that they were having to go through at home. It was kind of like a safe haven for teenagers to be able to just be kids.
2: I actually did go to YMCA camps when I was growing up. Did you? Yeah, because when I would visit my dad in California... Parents have to work. So I don't know, you know, when two parents have jobs, it's like, yeah, where else do you go? And I went to like horseback riding YMCA
0: camp, soccer camp, all of it. I mean, yeah, I I never went to YMCA camp myself because my mom is a stay-at-home mom. So I, you know, didn't – I only went to church camp in the summers, which is its own whole thing. Right. Well, that that was for your enrichment. That was for my enrichment. Not because your
2: mom wasn't around.
0: No, that's true. But yeah, YMCA is, I mean, only heard great things back in the day to – help kids out. And of course, we all know the song. Yes. Jared sang it to me in the car the other day. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. Well, we're
2: not going to do it here, but you know the song too. (laughs) Yes. Anyways. So while Aaliyah was at the Y, she met a young man named LaRico Williams. His friends also called him Rico. And LaRico was kind of a hot commodity. He was a few years older than Aaliyah and her friends, and he was a smooth talker and he was cute. But Aaliyah wasn't interested in Rico romantically. She actually had a crush on one of LaRico's cousins instead
1: my mom joined the board, I decided to go to the camp for a few summers. And while in that camp, I saw Rico, uh, LaRico Williams. He wasn't in the camp, but the camp had, of course, a gym that was open to the public because, again, it was a rec center. And just through seeing him playing basketball and just being around the rec center, I had gotten to know him. I think he was about maybe like 17 or 18 when I first met him. And he would always come in with his cousin. He wasn't that tall, but he just had a very big personality, a very big smile. Of course, a lot of the ladies really liked him, loved going up and, you know, talking to him or talking about him. I was more interested in his cousin, but I definitely would always remember him and would talk to him and consider him a friend inside of the rec center for sure.
0: Aaliyah saw LaRico and his cousins at the YMCA all of the time, and she noticed that LaRico's family seemed really, really close.
1: I always had the impression that they were a tight family. I never, like I said, never really saw them outside of the Y, but even for them to be cousins, you would have thought they were all brothers, how close they were. And it seemed like that was a trend throughout their family that you know, no matter what, no matter what you get into or what trouble you may be into, it seemed like they were still some type of clue.
0: It's so special to have a strong bond with family like that. And around 2008, Aaliyah began working as a counselor at a different YMCA location. So Aaliyah and Lariko didn't really see each other as much as they had used to. But Aaliyah still followed a couple of Lariko's cousins on social media. And one day, she saw them post some really heartbreaking news. Something had happened to Larico, Something
1: bad. I found out in the summer of July 2011 on social media, and it just seemed like everyone was saying that he was in some type of fight with the mother of his child, and that the police were called, and that he passed away because of it. So at this
2: point, Aaliyah understandably had a million questions, and I'm sure you do too. What happened to Larico? How were the police involved? And why didn't they save him? So to answer these questions, you all know the drill. We got to go back.
0: LaRico Antonius Williams was born on May 27th of 1990. His mother was Tomiko and his father was Victor. LaRico had one sister and one brother. And there isn't a ton of information available on LaRico's younger years, but when he was in his early 20s, he enrolled at Central Piedmont Community College. And by this point, he had also become a father and around the same time he had a girlfriend. On Wednesday, July 20th of 2011, Larico and his girlfriend went on a date and they saw a movie at the local AMC theater. When the movie ended at around 10.30 p.m., Larico and his girlfriend went to Charlotte's Woodlawn light rail station, which is kind of similar to like a metro, and they headed home for the night. But the couple never made it there because as they were standing at Woodlawn
2: station, Lurico and his girlfriend began arguing. And before long, the argument had turned into a full-blown situation. When I say situation, I mean yelling, pushing, pulling, punching, choking, a fight between these two, the whole nine yards. And people around Larico and his girlfriend were worried. At least five of them called 911 to report this physical altercation. Several of those concerned callers explicitly told the emergency operator a crucial detail. Larico and his girlfriend were unarmed.
0: So, police officer Michael Forbes was the first to arrive at the scene. He immediately spotted Larico fighting with his girlfriend, and as Forbes approached the angry couple, Larico began walking away. Forbes ordered Larico to stop and show his ID, but Larico continued walking in a different direction. And after that, tensions escalated quickly.
2: Right, and Officer Forbes then grabbed Larico's arm, and Larico turned around and pushed Forbes in the chest, saying, I ain't gotta talk to y'all. To which Forbes replied, you're going to get detained. Do not play with me. Lurico then asked, Get detained for what? Several times. But Forbes never answered. Instead, he ordered Lurico to get
0: on the ground yelling, Do you want to get tased? But Lurico didn't get on the ground. So Officer Forbes tased Lurico in the chest. Larico fell onto his back and was clearly in pain. And he continued asking Officer Forbes, Get detained for what? To which Forbes replied, Roll over on your stomach or you're getting tased again. So LaRica rolled on over to his stomach, and police officer Michael Forbes of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department tased him again anyways. And this is when LaRica went into cardiac arrest. And minutes later, 21-year-old Larico Antonios Williams died. It's so frustrating to hear
2: that people comply, and it still happens anyway. I know. You know what I mean? It's like roll over on your stomach or you're going to get tased. He rolls over on his stomach, and then he gets tased. And then we're not even talking someone in their 50s. This kid is 21 years old. Right. Like, you don't get much healthier, and you don't have much of a stronger heart than you do at 21. Absolutely. This guy tased him so long that he died— From a taser, which, you know, my impression is like they're safe, right?
0: It's de-escalating, isn't it? It's supposed to be. Well, they're supposed to be. And unfortunately, it's – and heartbreakingly and disgustingly, it's like this is just a story we keep hearing over and over and over again. Right. And they're obviously disproportionately used.
2: So from start to finish, this encounter was 70 seconds long. Eight seconds into the conversation, Forbes threatened to tase Lurico. About 30 seconds later, Forbes tased Lurico for the first time. In 13 seconds after that, Forbes tased him again. Barely a minute passed, and Larico was gone forever. His family was devastated, and the world would never be the same again. On July 20th of 2011, Officer Michael Forbes tased 21-year-old Larico Williams until he died. And Larico's family was left to cope with his earth-shattering news and subsequent grief. Larico's family told reporters that his son's death had changed his life forever. He said, "My son wasn't perfect, but he had a good heart." Larico's mother recalled how her son had walked out of her house just hours before.
0: He said, "I love y'all. See you tomorrow." On July 24th of 2011, four days after Larico's death, 300 people attended a candlelit vigil to mourn his loss. They prayed, sang gospels, and released balloons to honor Larico's memory. And coincidentally, the day before the vigil was also LaRica's younger brother's birthday. LaRica's mother remembered her surviving son saying, what a fucking birthday.
1: It seemed like a lot of people were upset. I didn't have a lot of his family members on social media, just the two cousins that I also knew from the Y. And just seeing them post about it, you know, a lot of outrage, but also... I feel like it kind of went under wraps because of the situation of the cops being called because of something that he was doing. I feel like a lot of people kind of slept it under the rug or tried to justify it in a sense because they looked at it as just because, you know, if he wasn't doing what he was doing, then the police wouldn't have been called and he would still be alive. But I look at it as, if, even if he was doing what he was doing, even if it was a crime, the police being called shouldn't mean that your life should end. Elias is exactly right because no matter what happened before officer Forbes
2: arrived, the facts are still the facts. Larico was unarmed. He was
0: on the ground, and when officer Forbes told him to get on his stomach, he did. Larico's undeserved death was absolutely soul-crushing. Immediately the case gained nationwide attention because this wasn't the first time a Charlotte police officer had tased an unarmed black man to death. In fact, only one day before Larico died, Charlotte newspapers were reporting on a different lawsuit settlement over the exact same situation.
2: Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. On March 20th of 2008, three years before Lurico's death, a 17-year-old black teen named Daryl Wayne Turner went to the supermarket where he worked. For some reason, Daryl and his store manager began arguing, and Daryl was upset. He yelled, he knocked over a display, and he threw an umbrella. But although Daryl was upset, he wasn't violent, and he hadn't threatened violence either.
0: Still, someone called the cops, and that's when Officer Jerry Dawson arrived on the scene. When Officer Dawson issued a command to Daryl, Daryl turned around and moved towards the officer, and that's when Officer Dawson tased Daryl in the chest. Officer Dawson held down the taser's trigger for 37 seconds. And that's a long time for 50,000 volts to go through your heart. And Daryl collapsed. And a different police officer told Daryl to put his hands behind his back, but Daryl was unresponsive, obviously. So Officer Dawson tased Daryl again for five more seconds. Seeing that Daryl wasn't moving, the police officers then called the paramedics. But it was too late. Daryl's heart, which was perfectly healthy, stopped beating and he died. Just like Lurico, after Daryl's death, the city
2: of Charlotte made their police officers undergo additional taser training and settled with Daryl's family for $625,000. But they denied any wrongdoing, and they only suspended Officer Dawson for five days. On July 19th of 2011, the day before Lurico's death, the company that makes tasers, Axon Enterprise, was forced to pay Daryl's family $10 million, and that was a big deal, Axon Enterprise had never had to pay out that much before for a taser-related lawsuit. So as Lurico's death was happening, tasers were already at the forefront of Charlotte residents' minds. Which is why, mere hours before Lurico was tased to death, the Charlotte city attorney stated, tasers are still very effective and they're a non-lethal force for police to control a situation. So... We all know that's bullshit now, don't we? Yeah. I mean, they're not exactly non-lethal, are they? If
0: they're used improperly or for too long or abused, they're fucking lethal. Right. And both of those men were young, healthy men. And like Lex said, the tasers aren't non-lethal because they both died as a result of their use. And they're not the only ones. There are so many more cases like theirs just in North Carolina alone. In April of 2011, this is just three months before LaRico's death, police tased 43-year-old Ronald Armstrong to death in Pinehurst, North Carolina. And then, a month after LaRico's death, police tased 56-year-old Michael Evans to death in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And most recently, in January of this year, police tased 32-year-old Daryl Tyree Williams to death in Raleigh, North Carolina. And of course, this isn't just a North Carolina problem,
2: right? They use tasers everywhere, and approximately 500 people have died from police use of tasers in the U.S. And 80% of these taser deaths, the police were called to help with a nonviolent situation. And 84% of the time, the targets were unarmed. And 40% of the taser deaths were Black people, which is wild because Black people only make up 13% of the U.S. population. So now we're going to stop and we're going to talk about tasers for just a second, because they aren't what you think they are. And we've all been misled to think that this is a safe way to subdue people when that's certainly not the case.
1: I had no idea when I first thought that, you know, they said the police killed him. I thought gun. I didn't even realize that you could kill someone with a taser until then. But from what I read and what people were saying was that the Police officer tased him for so long, and then somehow a second taser was then launched at him, and it just completes like he just, he died.
0: So, tasers were developed in the 70s by an aerospace scientist named Jack Cover, and he called these high-powered devices Tom A. Swift electric rifles, which is where the acronym taser originated. I did not know that. I didn't either. It doesn't really flow off the tongue when you're saying it. So taser does make more sense. Taser. I don't
2: know why, like, the word taser has become what that they sound like to me. It's scary. Yeah. Like, to be tased is, like, what it sounds like when they're being
0: activated. Yeah. So I was just interested to hear that because they've kind of become, like, how Post-its are, right? Like... Exactly. So the name was actually based on a 1911 novel entitled Tom Swift and His Electric Rifle. And tasers gained popularity in the late 90s to the early 2000s because they were marketed to police as safer alternatives to guns. In the U.S., over 140,000 law enforcement officers have tasers. And every day, police use their tasers about 900 times. So that means in the time it takes you to listen to this podcast episode alone, at least 30 people will have been tased.
2: Right. And the officers who killed LaRico and Daryl use the exact same kind of taser, called the Taser x 26 And at the time, this taser model was standard for all Charlotte police officers, and here's how they work. So when fired, two small stainless steel darts or prongs shoot out from the taser gun, and the darts are connected to the gun with thin wires. So when the darts ultimately hit a target, they transmit 50,000 volts of electricity. And we mentioned that number earlier. 50,000 volts of electricity sounds like an awful lot because it really is. If you've ever stuck your finger in a wall outlet by accident, which we don't recommend, but if you've done it when you're a kid or a stupid toddler or whatever, you've felt only about 120 volts. And I bet it didn't feel good, right? Yeah. So needless to say, 50,000 volts of electricity coursing through your body, the pain is excruciating. And this amount of electricity coursing through your body is also very,
0: very dangerous At first, Axon Enterprise, the company that makes tasers, got in a lot of trouble for telling buyers that tasers were safer than they actually were. Specifically, they said that shooting someone in the chest with a taser was absolutely fine. Their CEO, Rick Smith, said, are chests hit with taser guns dangerous? The answer to that is definitively no, which obviously we know is extremely incorrect. And now Axon Enterprise gives their customers an eight-page warning list about their tasers and it includes a warning about not shooting a taser at somebody's chest. And after Axon Enterprise started providing this warning list to their customers, their lawsuits dramatically decreased. So obviously, they're trying to cover their fucking asses. Either way, tasers are problematic. And since police departments view them as non-lethal weapons,
2: officers are quick to use them in situations where they don't want to pull out their gun. And like, I gotta say, good on you for not pulling out your gun. Right, But these things also need to be used with discretion, especially, I mean, we don't know anyone on the street could be suffering from any sort of like heart condition. Exactly. Like even an undiagnosed one that they
0: might not even know about. Right. Well, and what are you supposed to do? Like as you're getting tased, be like, stop, I I have a heart problem. Like there's no time to be able to do that. Even if that wasn't an option, you know, from the victim's perspective. Totally. But you know, I guess good, like
2: guns are worse. You know, so I guess good on you for not pulling out your gun, but, like, there's other ways to deescalate. Like, and I get cops are scared, but there has to be more we can do because obviously people of color are being disproportionately killed with tasers also, and that's not right, you know? Yeah. So, sure, these things are absolutely lethal. And to make matters worse, there are no enforced state or federal standards for taser safety usage or training. So it's completely legal for a police department to hand an officer a taser without any instruction or oversight. And they might not understand (laughs) that this can kill someone. You know, I didn't know this and I work in true crime and neither did you, Jack. So it's like, they might not know that this thing has the potential to kill someone. And they might think holding it on someone for 37 seconds is perfectly fine
0: if they're scared. And it's not. The crazy thing is that taser misuse is really difficult to track, and when a person gets tased, there isn't much of a mark left behind, which is crazy to think about how much it affects your body, yet there's like no mark, you know? Totally. So unless the tased person literally dies, a police officer can tase a target with little to no proof that it ever happened. And when a person does die from being tased, nobody tracks the information, not the police department, not the state, and not the federal government. The only reason that we have any clue about how many people have died from police taser use is because of websites like FatalEncounters.org, which was founded by a journalist named D. Brian Berghart, And there he tracks how many people are killed during interactions with law enforcement.
2: And to be honest, we don't even have time to get into the details of about how awful tasers are, at least into the nitty-gritty of all that. We could spend all day unpacking the fact that there are school security guards armed with tasers for use against unruly children – and what that could mean, or the fact that police officers have been caught using tasers to intentionally torture their targets with prolonged shocks and what that means and how screwed up that is, or that it's perfectly legal for any Joe Schmo to just go buy a taser for their own personal use or fun or recreation and how scary that is. And in fact, Hawaii and Rhode Island are the only two states in the U.S. that have banned tasers from a general public. But you know who can use a taser in all 50 states? The police. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have any taser experiences, Jack? I don't, but I heard that you do. I don't have an experience, but I have a taser, but I don't have one. So this is one that my boyfriend gave me, his dad's a cop, to just have for safety. It's pink. And it's a direct contact taser. So it doesn't, you can't shoot it at someone from far away. It would be like if someone grabbed me from behind, I could like tase them and get their arm off me type thing. But I got to tell you, I've never used it. I've never carried it with me because like one time I tried to get out of the package and it zapped and I'm like, nope, I'm fucking good. I don't know how to like, I I don't like weapons. I really don't. Yeah. None of it's for me. And one time, um, years ago, I was going to buy a taser for safety and the guy behind the counter, here's what he told me. He's like, please don't buy this. He's like, if you don't know what you're doing, predator will wrestle it away from you and use it on you and you're fucked. Yeah. And you know, like literally, unless, especially one of these close contact ones, it's like, if they can overpower you, they can rip the taser out of your hand. Unless you are such a swift jujitsu master yeah. with this, which I am not. Yeah. <laughs> Tasers are scary and dangerous. And unless you know what you're doing, we highly recommend leaving it to, um, I would say, the cops. No but one. <laughs> no one.
0: No one is best. Well, I, I think it's like if you're going to go and get a taser for your own protection, it's like read, have get the training that you need. I don't even know if they have taser training, but it's like it's the least training you need. Try to protect yourself in a way that isn't going to hurt you in the long run. Definitely.
2: I mean, don't hurt yourself, don't hurt others. It's not fun and games. They're not funny. They're not for joking around or pranking or seeing if I could see it on TikTok. I bet you it's been a thing. They did it on Jackass. Like it, it was all fun and games for them, which is such a mistake cuz they're they're very dangerous. So,
0: you know, take yeah. them seriously. So, the Charlotte Police Department started using tasers in 2004. We're obviously getting back to our story. And their taser policy stated that the weapons were to be used to, quote, "...restrain violent individuals where alternative restraint tactics fail or are reasonably likely to fail." And the police chief at the time told the Charlotte Observer that tasers were a valuable tool for police officers and they ultimately enhanced the safety of our citizens by giving officers a viable option to minimize injuries to themselves and others." But after LaRico's death, the people of Charlotte had had enough. In response to the intense public outcry, the Charlotte Police Department temporarily paused their use of tasers for about two months. Which is a big deal. That is crazy. Yeah. They sent their 1,200 tasers to an independent laboratory to check them for defects, and they reviewed their department-wide taser policies and procedures to make sure that they were up to, you know, whatever. But it's like, they should have probably done this at the beginning. Yeah, but... Where my
2: mind went, which is so terrible, is I'm supposed to be relieved that they're not using these tasers for two months, but that actually terrifies me. Because then they're going to use their guns? Guns. Yeah. And police see it as de-escalating to use tasers, but they're still so dangerous. So it's like, my question is, can you make a weaker taser? Why does it have to be 50,000 volts? Yeah. If we know that that's, you know, 120 volts... Hurts a human being. Why are we? Why are we pumping fifty thousand volts of electricity in people?
0: Can we make this a little safer? Or like, can you make it so you can't hold it down for thirty-seven seconds straight? Like that's obviously unnecessary. You know, like there has to be some sort of like, like it comes out in, in- like intervals, as yeah. a, you know, like four-second
2: intervals in the max for thirty seconds or something. I don't know. It's just it just seems like a avoidable problem. Yeah. But what makes me so angry about it is that. Obviously, people dying from the use of tasers, it's disproportionately people of color. And it's almost like they don't see it as big enough of a fucking problem, but it is. Of course, yeah. So anyways, like we said, they certainly got people's attention when the department banned the use of these tasers for two months. That's a big deal because every other department in the United States were using these tasers. So after that, the Charlotte PD would go on to decide to spend almost $2 million to buy 1,600 new tasers which in case you're counting, it's not less tasers than before. It's 200 more than where we started, but whatever. I suppose they're doing more than any other police department has, right? They should get some credit. So according to them, their new tasers were safer because a police officer couldn't just hold the taser button down and shock someone indefinitely, which was Jack's off-the-cuff suggestion, which is a smart one, and I'm sure any doctor would agree that a constant flow of electricity to someone's heart is probably very dangerous. So instead, the shock would only last five seconds, and there's probably some period of waiting before you can do it again, which, good on you. Every taser should be like this. Like It's crazy. Should have been like that since the beginning. Also, like tasers are also machines. They malfunction. So what if you don't mean to hold it down for 30 seconds? You mean to hold it down for 10 seconds, and then it I, I don't know. I just, I just think these sort of safe proofs are brilliant. And yeah, anyways, and another thing that they implemented in these new tasers were that before the tase actually happened and the electricity started flowing, this taser emitted a warning sound. So I'm not sure who that sounds for Yeah. or what kind of reaction they're trying
0: to elicit from their target. If that's a good idea, I'm not sure, but Okay. Yeah, I don't really understand the reasoning for that, but Me either. Whatever. So, the Charlotte PD also held an internal investigation on officer Michael Forbes, who was the man who killed Larico. And they considered officer Forbes's body cam footage, but it had mysteriously turned off halfway through his encounter with Larico, which is, you know, what a stroke for, of luck for that guy! Yeah, what a what a lucky break! It seems to happen all the time for those people in those situations. Seriously, but the police department also looked over the nearby security camera footage of places nearby, but apparently that didn't show anything of use either. And the Charlotte PD reviewed Officer Forbes' patrol car camera, but since Larico and Forbes were out of frame, that also wasn't helpful. The Charlotte authorities wouldn't disclose whether Officer Forbes used the taser properly or how long he'd shocked Larico for. And when it was all said and done, Officer Forbes wasn't reprimanded by the police department. And he continued working as a Charlotte police officer for many years, which, again, unfortunately, is not that surprising. For years after
2: Larico's death, his family took the Charlotte Police Department to civil court. They claim that the Charlotte Police Department failed to train their police officers on how to tase a target safely. As in, maybe don't hit them in the chest if you can avoid it. At the beginning of the legal proceedings, the judge granted the Forbes qualified immunity. And I'm sure if you're in the true crime community, you all know what that means now. We've heard that term thrown around in reference to the George Floyd case and many other cases, meaning that you're immune if you were kind of on the job And this is sort of an inherent risk of your job, whatever. And that was meant for the first taser probe he shot at Larico. So he's separating his movements here and saying that one he's protected under qualified immunity for, right? So he was allowed to tase him the first time because he was being unresponsive to the officer's commands, according to this judge. So the big question then becomes, was it excessive force when Officer
0: Forbes Taze Larico the second time. So in court, Larico's family argued that Larico couldn't have been a threat to Officer Forbes at the time of the second tase. He was a really small guy, standing at 5'6 and weighing about 145 pounds. And plus, again, like we said, he was unarmed. And also, as we said before, Larico was already on the ground after the first tase. He was even on his stomach, as Officer Forbes had demanded. But Officer Forbes' legal team was adamant that Larico was still a threat at the time of the second tase. They claimed that Lurico wasn't on his stomach because he was complying with Officer Forbes' orders. Instead, Larico had rolled on his stomach in the process of standing up again. And Officer Forbes testified that Lurico would have attacked him if he'd been able to get back up, so he didn't allow that to happen. But no
2: other witnesses saw Larico's alleged attempts to stand up. So this is... The defense's story, but no one else saw that who was there. And remember, five people called 911 because they witnessed it. And when Larico's parents' legal team investigated the case, they found that the ME's autopsy of Larico indicated that there could have been a third taser wound, one on Larico's arm, one that the police never
0: investigated or flagged. So, after deliberating for a day and a half, the jury determined that Officer Michael Forbes of the Charlotte Police Department was guilty of using excessive force when he shot Larico with his taser for a second time. But the victory was bittersweet for Larico's family. They sought $3.5 million in damages, as well as a permanent ban on tasers for Charlotte police officers. They didn't get that. Instead, Larico's family received $500,000, but still, perhaps there was a silver lining. As one of Larico's family lawyers, Kironi Truzzi said, this sends a strong statement to the Charlotte Mecklenburg police that the citizens are aware that they are not taking things for granted. They're not allowing an officer to get a freebie. Right. And of course, even though, I mean, they got $500,000, that's not their son.
2: No. Right. So Larico's friends and family were still just grief stricken. And even our first degree, Aaliyah, who hadn't seen Larico in years, felt their pain. He was the first person she'd personally known to be killed by a police officer. And many people across the United States felt the impact of his absence. And because Lurico's death wasn't just about Lurico, he symbolized a much larger issue. Racist, police, brutality. And as a woman of color herself, Aaliyah was no stranger to that problem.
1: When I learned this, I was 16 and there were other things happening along the lines of police brutality But this was the first time that I actually had a name or someone that I actually knew that passed because of it. So it was kind of different in the context of like the theory and, you know, being prepared and knowing what to do or how to respond or how to avoid the police. But it it was a different ballpark that it was still someone that I knew that was gone because of this.
2: After LaRico died, Aaliyah couldn't look at police officers in the
1: same way. When a police officer kills someone, it doesn't just take away that person. It ripples out into hundreds of people. I was very upset when I found out about Rico passing away. Like, any time that I was around police officers, I would go out of my way to avoid them, to not make eye contact with them. Even if they were trying to be nice, I would not. And still to a point, still do not to this day. I think it just directly related and impacted how I interact with police. Like I'm way more paranoid. I'm way more like stay away from them. Nothing good can really come from being around police. I feel like it was the starting point to where I just really had a different feeling towards the police, a different view of the police. And it even influenced, like when I went into college, I joined the NAACP and ended up being the president of the NAACP too. So I feel like it it sparked a lot of things that I ended up doing in the future.
0: Just as the trauma of Lariko's death changed how Aaliyah interacted with the police, it also affected how Lariko's family interacted with the police. So when Lariko's sister, Lamika Campbell, was pulled over for a traffic violation, she was terrified because she was traumatized.
2: On Friday, May 4th of 2018, 30-year-old Lamika Campbell was driving her Lexus 300 down a Charlotte Road at 9:30 p.m. A police officer attempted to pull Lamika over because her car tag was unreadable. But when the officer began tailing Lamika and flashing their lights, Lamika didn't move to the side of the road for several miles. So, according to her, she was trying to find a well-lit area before making her way to the side of the road and pulling over. She was scared after all her brother died, because a police officer misinterpreted his movements. It makes sense that Lamika would want to be clearly visible at all times. In Lamika's own words, she didn't have any trust in police officers, and you'd understand why if you were in her position.
0: Exactly. So when she did pull over, a police officer claimed that they smelled marijuana coming from inside her vehicle. And in North Carolina, smelling marijuana is considered probable cause. So that means that the police officer could legally search Lamika's vehicle without her consent. It's unclear if the police officers communicated to Lamika that they wanted to search her car because of the marijuana smell. And it seems like they just demanded that she get out of her car without any sort of an explanation whatsoever. And because she was so freaked out by all of their requests, she actually called 911. And both Lamika and the 911 operator were really confused as to why the officer wanted her to get out of the car for an issue with her car tag. Lamika was scared and confused, so she didn't
2: roll down her windows or open her car doors for the police officers, so they called for backup. At this point, Lamika had called her mom, Tamiko, and Tamiko arrived on the scene shortly thereafter. And she filmed a Facebook Live video chronicling this crazy situation. And in it, you can see 14 police officers walking around Laminka's car and at least one police helicopter hovering over in the air. After 40 minutes, a police sergeant smashed two of Laminka's car windows. I, like, cannot believe this has happened twice in this family. I know. It's fucking disgusting. It is so disgusting. I mean... This police department has given this family a settlement for the overuse of force in murdering their son. And now she's afraid because of what happened with her brother. And she's telling the dispatcher that on the phone. And somehow
0: that message isn't being disseminated to those police surrounding her car. No, they're like, you know what, we need more police and we need a helicopter and we need to smash her windows. Like, it's absolutely the most insane thing that I've ever heard. Because her tag is, we can't read it from driving behind her. And even like with, it's like, even if you did smell weed from her car, like, you need how many police officers to handle this? Like it's, it, it's so gross.
2: It's so gross. And she's probably telling you that she's fucking scared. And like, you killed my brother. I I mean, who knows, but like, yeah. I bet you she was trying to explain herself and no one seemed to give a shit. And that makes me
0: so angry. Yeah. It's, it's so it's trauma. I can't imagine. I'm talking about traumatizing. Like, yeah. insane. uh. So obviously this whole thing is total overkill, and after forcing their way into Lamika's car, the police discovered five ounces of THC oil. And when they took Lamika into police custody, they also found six grams of marijuana on her person. And the state of North Carolina is notorious for its super-harsh marijuana laws, and this was especially true back in 2018. Lamika was charged with failure to heed emergency lights and sirens, improper display of a tag, obstructing police justice, possession of marijuana, and felony possession of Schedule Six drugs. Lamika's traffic stop and arrest became big news, especially after her
2: mother's Facebook live video went viral. And the Charlotte NAACP president even held a press conference about the event, and the organization released a statement. Lamika was arrested last night during what should have been a simple traffic stop. Lurika Williams, her brother, was killed by a CMPD in 2011. Lamika is traumatized and petrified of the CMPD. Ending this continual and escalating harassment, brutality, and disrespect will be addressed. Here's a clip of Lamika speaking at this press conference.
1: When I stress the issue to the officer of uh, the reason of why I fear him, or any other officer. He didn't empathize or sympathize at the fact that I lost my brother behind a police officer. This month, my brother would be 28 years old and he gone because of the officer. And I can't sit here and physically see my brother because of that. But you want me to stop in a dark area for me to be another statistic? I don't think that's
0: right. For eight years after Larico's death, the Charlotte Police Department maintained that their taser training protocol was totally fine. But in November of 2019, they finally made massive changes to their use of force policy. They clearly identified escalation as when use of force is reasonable. And now when an officer does have to use force, they are required to provide medical aid immediately after. So in response
2: to these changes, LaRico's mother, Tomiko, said, it shows progress. It gives you a little hope. Since her son died, Tomiko has been fighting for change. She helps run a Facebook page called LaRico Williams out to make a difference too. And she was awarded the 2021 Mechman Bridge Builder Award for being a community advocate. And each year, LaRico's friends and family gather on his birthday and the anniversary of his death to honor him. They pray, they shame memories, and they do a balloon release. If LaRico were
0: still alive, he would be turning 33 this May. Our first degree, Aaliyah, is an advocate for equity. She's participated in protests for George Floyd and other victims of racist violence. And Aaliyah will continue to speak out for change and protest racism. But honestly, the fact that she even has to protest racism is so, so frustrating to begin with.
1: Every time I protest, I think, where was this for Rico? Rico deserved this. He, everyone deserved to know his name too. He was a person, a father, a brother, a friend, and he deserves recognition as well. But unfortunately, because there are so many cases like this, we just can't keep up. It would be a full-time job for me to sit and look up and to know all the names of the people that have hashtags in front of them because of police brutality. So it does infuriate me. It does make me mad and it makes me sad, but it also fires something up in me. And at least I know that when I'm marching, I'm also marching for him.
0: Even thinking about the amount of change needed to successfully solve racism and police brutality is daunting. If we only consider the taser use, already there is a huge laundry list of items that we need to do like recategorize tasers as deadly weapons, develop a nationwide database of taser deaths caused by police officers, pass stricter policies on police taser training, safety guidelines, and usage protocols, ban school security guards from using tasers, make it illegal to purchase tasers for personal use, and the list just goes on and on and on. Right, and
2: every single one of those things that Jack just listed is a monumental political fight between Republicans, Democrats, police unions, lobbyists, and more, right? Like, this isn't going to be easy, but flagging it here on our show is our first step, right? We didn't know about this, and now we do, and you do too. So although Aaliyah wants change, she knows and sees the
1: challenges that are ahead. I think things have changed since 2011, I don't necessarily know if they've changed for the good. I don't know what my hope is, honestly. I, I want change, but I feel like we're so deep down into this rabbit hole of what change could look like and this rabbit hole of how much needs to happen for the ultimate change to stop that I don't, I don't even know if I really have an answer to that. I just hope that one day that it is resolved that we can get to a point where police officers are trained enough to know how to engage and de-escalate situations without using their fists and without using their weapons and know how to engage with people who are in mental health crises or just better understand anyone that they could be engaging in on a call without killing them
0: and Aaliyah wonders how staying informed on our own biases can help make the world a better place.
1: I'm in HR, and a part of what I do is focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And though I don't know what the end-all, be-all answer for the change is, I feel like I can say the start is with you, with yourself, checking your unconscious biases, checking maybe racisms or things that you grew up with that are not okay and being able to check yourself when you are engaging with any person in the world. I feel like it all starts with us as individuals being willing to change and seeing that this is a problem, but we can't even get on the same page with that. So I just feel like that's a good start though, the change in your head, the biases that you have what you're thinking when you see these cases. Are you just seeing a black man? Even with Rico, a lot of the articles are his mugshot. Why not a picture of him with his mom, his children, his cousin, his family. But instead of looking at that mugshot and seeing a criminal, like see a person, like an actual human being.
0: Today, Aaliyah runs a nonprofit out of Durham, North Carolina. It's called Thrive Women's Empowerment, and it's really cool. They help dismantle racism by offering unique professional opportunities to graduates of historically Black colleges and universities. And here she is explaining it herself.
1: So it is called Five Women's Empowerment, and I basically match undergraduate young women with a mentor in their prospective career fields. I only focus on HBCUs in North Carolina. And so we cover any field, business, medical, law, engineering, entrepreneurship, HR, anything that a student could major in. We have mentors in it and we match them so that they can work with them on their professional development as they matriculate through college. And then we just also do a lot of professional development, virtual workshops, and community service.
0: And if you have a minute, please follow their Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It's at Thrive Women's Empowerment.
2: In the United States, the police are often criticized for escalating nonviolent situations. And it's not any one person's fault. It's a systemic issue. It's a culture of violence that permeates the structures, policies, and invisible bureaucracies of American police departments. And the stats show it, there's no denying it. American police officers kill civilians more often than any other developed and democratic nation. In England and in Wales, police kill 0.05 people for every 1 million people. In Canada, it's 0.98 people for every 1 million people. And in the US, United States police officers kill 3.35 people per every 1 million people. That's three times as many as our neighbors and counterparts and allies. The research shows that police brutality isn't getting any worse, but the research also shows that it's not getting any better. And proportionately, the people who are most at risk of dying from police violence are people of color police kill white people at a rate of 15 per 1 million, Hispanic people at a rate of 28 per 1 million, and Black people at a rate of 38 per 1 million. So when you're voting for politicians, when you're donating to organizations, consider individuals and groups that are in support of policies that end police brutality, policies that regard tasers as deadly weapons, politicians that understand that racially charged police brutality is real because the only way change will ever happen is when we make it happen.
0: huge thank you to Leah for being our first degree for this episode if you're listening out there and you have a story to tell please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com follow us on instagram join our facebook group we're talking true crime all the time if you need more content join our patreon we have one new episode every single week and check back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of killing time right in your feed
2: and remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close but not that close Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Andrea Marsh Bank. Sources for this episode are Court Documents, Spectrum Local News, WSOC-TV, ABC 11, Encyclopedia Britannica, U.S. Government Accountability Office, USA Today, The Gazette. Claims Journal, County Records, WCC Beach, Charlotte, The Charlotte Observer, WBTV, The News and Observer, WCNC, ACLU, WFAE, The New York Times, APM Reports, Police Brutality Center, and the Human Rights Defense Center. And as always, our first three guests is always our largest source.